Well, I love that phrase. I'm finding myself at a loss for words. But the funny thing is, that's okay. Because the one whose word I most need to hear is and will share that word. So thank you, Jerry, for that message. Thank you, Juan, for your testimony about that very thing, that this life is a journey. You're on a journey, I'm on a journey, and none of us was born with this innate sense of direction. Where am I supposed to go? What's the destination supposed to be? What are the mileposts along the way that say I'm on the right way, the right path? None of us was born with that innately. And so uh, we've had voices all along the way to speak into our lives and to give some kind of directive. And uh, as Sean was reminding us a moment ago, that early on happens with parents. And some of us have good parents and some of us have less than good parents. But nevertheless, that kind of directive was coming our way in those early times. Um, Along the way, some of us began to have other voices speak into our lives that we call peers. Some of us had some good peers, some good things that came from uh, our friends. And others of us had, you know, a a message we probably would have done better to ignore and uh, certainly not heed. Uh, Along the way, there are other voices, teachers and and maybe church leaders and uh, coaches and so on it goes. The fact of the matter is... We all have a lot of voices in our head. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? You're hearing those voices right now. You're having a conversation inside your head right now. And, of course, one of those voices is your own that has been shaped by a number of experiences through the years. And sometimes your own voice is a good voice to listen to. And then a whole lot of the other time, your voice is not something you want to pay any attention to and you want to get out of your head at that point right and prayerfully hopefully one of those voices then would be God if somewhere along the way you would have chosen to connect your life with his by his invitation by his calling your life into himself then he would also begin to speak into your life and thus Uh, Jerry was reminding us in that song, Juan was reminding us in that scripture reading, that his word, what he has to say is like a light to my path, a lamp to my feet. And I would submit to you today that really the only voice worth paying really any attention to is the voice of God. What's he saying to you these days? What's he calling for out of your life? Uh, When I start thinking in those kinds of terms, I can't help but think about the Apostle Peter. And you know the familiar story where the disciples are out on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. A storm hits them. Some of them are seasoned fishermen, and yet the storm is so terrible they're all afraid for their lives. Jesus is not with them. And while they are uh, trying to make the best of a perilous situation, one of them thinks he sees something of a ghost walking on the water. And they all begin screaming, and what is this? And they're afraid, and Jesus begins to speak to them and call to them. Don't be afraid. And Peter 
thinking this, this really is Jesus, this really is the Lord, calls out to Jesus, who's still walking on the water, Lord, if that's you, ask me to come out there with you. And Jesus said, come. And I love it. Peter, by faith in that voice, steps out of the boat and begins to walk on water as our Lord did. Now, do I even need to say, if one of your friends says in the middle of a storm, get out of the boat, don't listen to them. (laughs) If you think and say to yourself, I think I'll get out of the boat in the middle of the storm. Don't listen to yourself. Don't ever get out of a boat in the middle of the storm unless word of God speaks. Unless he calls and invites you even into a very risky, perilous kind of circumstance. Now, when I start talking about the voice of God and listening to God and heeding what God says and so on, I I just pray, I, I really do with all my heart, that that does not unduly intimidate you. Because what we're talking about is not something that's reserved for super saints and there's only a handful that can ever kind of discern what God would be saying or stirring or prompting. That is normal Christianity. That is something that God invites all of us into an experience with Him that comes out of our having a relationship with Him. And if that's something that's still a little foreign to you and it's still something that uh, just seems you know, outside of your experience or your reach... Uh, I just say continue to build a relationship with Jesus and that kind of communication will begin to, to happen. And I don't mean where, where he brings you a word audibly per se. That's never happened for me. But where he begins to, to communicate with your thoughts and with your feelings and there's stirrings and promptings is how we sometimes refer to that around here. And so we're going to watch how some of that gets unpacked in our reading today from Matthew. Which leads me to say, God has given us his word in a written form. So we're not just talking about the matter of prayer and discerning our own you know, sense of thoughts and connections with God. But we're also talking about getting into the scriptures and seeing what he has to say through the word that he has written for us and recorded for us that we believe is accurate and reliable and dependable. The very Word of God. And so let me just hasten to say, if you have not settled the issue of what the Bible is, that's okay. You don't have to have settled that issue to be here, but you do have to settle that issue at some point. It's not okay to continue to live in some land of ambiguity about, well, the Scripture probably has some wisdom contained in it. I don't know that it's the Word of God and that it's authoritative. Listen, you've got to figure that out. And if, and if you do your homework and you decide it's just a special piece of ancient literature, but I don't think it's the Word of God, fine. That's okay. As long as you did your homework and you're willing to live with that, that's up to you. But if you do your homework, I, I suspect you're going to come out where a lot of us have come out, and that is... This is inspired. This is God-breathed. This is something that he has given to us as a gift so that we can discern his word, discern what he's trying to say and speak into our lives. Let me see how many of you have got a copy of it with you today. Great, great. 
I ask you every week to bring it. And I'm not trying to unduly pressure you about that today. I'm just saying, you know, if I go to the gym, I take a basketball. If you go to work and you work with, uh, you know, your laptop, you take your laptop with you. You need, if you're going to come to worship, you need the Word of God with you. And so let me just encourage you to be bringing that week to week. And we're in chapter 7 today as uh, we'll be talking about how he imparts wisdom to us about doing life's journey. So let's pick it up in verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, does that sound vaguely familiar? We sometimes refer to that as what? The golden rule. And it is an um, incredibly, powerfully comprehensive statement. It's so comprehensive, Jesus says, you know what? All of the law, first five books of the Old Testament, and all of the prophets, everything the, all the prophets wrote in the Old Testament, really are contained in that statement. So if you want to be faithful to all that God has been revealing to you in what we would call the Old Testament, do this. Now, what's interesting is that this was not an entirely unique statement. This statement had been around for centuries before Jesus and is found in a variety of religious literature. And in fact, the famed ancient rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, said this statement and also said it is the summation of the entire law. But what you need to understand is that Jesus said it differently. Everywhere else that this phrase that we refer to as the golden rule is represented in other literature and even ancient Judaism, it's in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And Jesus comes along and he turns and twists that and he says, it's almost right. Here's the right way. Do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Carry that out and you'll be fulfilling the law and the prophets. Now, this is, I'm slowing down a little bit because I really want you to get this. This is very subtle and it's very significant. And, and hear me, okay? Almost everything that will begin to come our way, the older we get and the more mature we get, and we're trying to discern wisdom and truth and the ways of God and the ways that are not of God and so on, all, increasingly they will fall into more subtlety and the, and the differences will be stark. Okay? And, and Jesus is going to say that in just a minute. There is a lot of difference between don't do harm to other people and do love 
others. There's a lot of difference in that. Now, if you were to fast forward, and we're going to get there one of these days, to Matthew 22, you'd see Jesus saying another statement by which he concludes, all of the law and all the prophets are summed up in this phrase. And it's a different phrase. Remember what it was? Is the great commandment. He said, love God with all your being and love others like you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets are contained in that. Now, which did he mean? Did he mean that the golden rule was the summation of all the law and prophets? Or did he mean the great commandment was the summation of all the law and prophets? The answer is yes. He meant both. And this gives us some biblical uh, light being shed on one passage to another as to what that looks like. To carry out the golden rule, to do unto others, looks like the great commandment. Where you're loving others like you love yourself. And as you're loving others, you're loving God. Remember Matthew 25, we talked about that a few weeks ago, where Jesus said, as you've done it to others, as you've cared for them and served them and blessed them and fed them and sheltered them and befriended them, you've done that unto me. You love others well, you're loving me. Do you see how all this is intertwined? And so when he says to us in this golden rule, love. You've been around here long enough, you know that that biblical connotation does not mean have warm, fuzzy feelings about everybody. Right? Does not mean that. Which is, it's okay to have warm, fuzzy feelings. I don't know anybody that can have that about everybody. But, but it's an action word, which is to say, do, bless, help, care, touch, provide, protect. You do these things as expressions of love. And you go, how, how, how can I ever be that kind of person that can be that loving, that giving, that selfless, and so on like that? Look at the very first part of the the verse. In my version it says, so, whatever you wish. Other versions say, therefore, which is your clue to look back, right? Right? And as you look at the passage that just precedes this, Jesus had just said, whatever you ask of God, he's going to do it for you. Therefore, do unto others. Love others. Give of yourself to others. Because your Father in heaven, who gives good gifts is going to give you everything that you need to be able to do that. So let me get to how I want you to to see this with me about how that plays out in the journey. What's the wisdom for life's journey and for our our doing life uh, well that's coming out of this text? Well, the first thing that we see is that we must get a word. We must get a directive from God. And so when when you think about doing unto others and loving others... It's a big world. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people at my place of work. You know, how am I supposed to figure this thing out? 
He begins to speak into your life. He begins to stir you. He begins to put somebody on your mind, and he begins to uh, let them occupy your thoughts a little bit. And when you turn him, you go, okay, what do you want me to do about that? But why do I keep thinking about that person? And then he begins to disclose, I want you to do this for them. I want you to love them in this way. Okay? It's a very dynamic, relational thing that happens with you and God. And it often happens in ways that are challenging and difficult for you. Which leads me to say in the second place, doing life journey well not only requires for me to get a word or a directive from God about it, but a willingness to do the hard things he's going to ask me to do. Look at the very next verse, verse 13. So enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now this enter by the narrow gate as opposed to the wide gate. The wide gate being where it's a lot easier to navigate and it's a lot easier, you know, on what it exacts out of you and so on. That's not just decisions and Beliefs and doctrine and so on like that. It, it involves that. But it's not. It's primarily what I'm going to get in there and do. And so when you begin to do life's journey with life's author, and you begin to check in with him and allow him to speak into your life and bring directives to your life, many times those things are going to be hard. They're going to be challenging. They're going to be difficult. Because you see, Jesus said, it's easy to love people that are easy to love. Anybody can do that. My disciples are going to love the hard to love people. It's easy to get involved in the lives of people who kind of have it together and they're neat and they're tidy and and, uh, they're systematic and so on like that. I, I want to help them. You know it's going to have a payoff. It's hard to get involved with those people that are messy, that don't think very well, that constantly make bad decisions. I don't want to get messed up in that kind of stuff. And yet the invitation will be over and again, do the hard thing. Get in there where it's going to be challenging. Get in there where you're going to have to trust me where you can see me come through in ways that I have to come through. Now, as I was uh, reflecting on this, ancient stories began to come to my mind. You you remember stories about Vikings? I'm not talking about that Minnesota football team. I'm talking about those, those ancient guys that from the 8th century to the 11th century basically dominated and ruled Europe. And uh, England and, and Ireland and up to Iceland. These Norsemen, these Scandinavians, had these superior ships that were much faster and much more navigable. And they would be able to overcome uh, people that they were trying to plunder. So they, they were not only warriors, but on the more negative side, pirates that plundered people. And as uh, historians have looked back to say, you know, how were they able to do what they did and be so effective and be so menacing and be so terrible? And a lot of people look at the technology. 
right? They're like, well, they had these incredible ships. These things could move so quickly, and, and they could go in uh, shore in a more shallow way than some of the other kinds of ships of its day, etc. But I want you to look inside the technology. I want you to look inside the ship. Because the difference between the Vikings and a lot of the other ancient navies and, and warriors and so on was that the, the Romans and the other European countries and the other navies, they all had slaves on their ships that were down below manning the oars. Are you with me? And so when they would try to overtake another ship or when they would come ashore and try to do so hurriedly to take their opponent by surprise, the slaves down below were doing the, the rowing and then the warriors on top would disembark and, and begin the engagement of battle. Not so with the Vikings. The Vikings rowed their own ships. He goes, so? Listen, some of these cartoonish kinds of examples of what these guys look like, uh, they, they are so buff for a reason. These guys were massive specimens of men because they did their own rowing, because they did the hard stuff. When they overtook an enemy and they began to engage them, their strength, their individual personal strength was superior to their opponents. And so they'd come at you and they'd be waving that axe or that hammer, you know, and somebody will hold up a shield. Well, forget that. Their upper body strength was as such. You hit my shield. I'm gone. I'm down. And then another blow finishes me. Now, I'm not advocating our becoming Vikings, right? <laughs> Wrong voice. Okay, just, just to be clear. What I am advocating is that we cooperate with God to do the hard things. And out of that, we become a man of God. We become a woman of God that we would never have become outside of doing those hard things. So, I, 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 you know, how does somebody become painfully generous? Well, they do the hard thing. God says, here's a need. I want you to, to use some of the resource that I've been blessing you with to meet that need. And you're like, oh, but that much? Yeah, do the hard thing. I want you to have this conversation with this guy. And I want you to lovingly confront him about whatever. Yeah, but that's going to be a hard conversation. Yeah, do the hard thing. I want you to forgive this person that's hurt you. Do the hard thing. On and on we could go. When... God begins to give us directives, when God begins to call upon us to take certain turns in life's journey, He's not only fulfilling His purposes, He's not only carrying out His plans, but He is building a certain kind of man, a certain kind of woman that we refer to as Christ-like.
that has a certain kind of character strength, a certain kind of heart strength, a certain kind of mental fortitude that attaches to the things of God and doesn't let go. Now, lest you think that I'm just talking about the mature whatevers, 30s, 40s, 50s, I'm especially talking to you guys that are under 20. Listen, God began to do things in my life when I was a teenager that were hard, that were way outside of my experience, that, that challenged me, you know, beyond what I thought I could do. I taught children Bible as a teenager every Sunday for 45 to 50 weeks a year. I, I worked in vacation Bible school as, as a youth And when I became a college student, I began to speak in churches and I began to teach adults. And so the verse that we were reflecting about a moment ago, 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Set the adults an example in the way that you talk. I'm not just talking about, you know, no profanity. I'm talking about... That your speech is filled with the things of God. You talk about Jesus. You talk about how Jesus is at work in your life. You talk about how you see Jesus answering prayer. That, that you set an example in the way you talk, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you love other people, in the way that you believe and trust God. Listen, I was 18 years old. And I, I took a group of 25 youth on a retreat five states away. Set up the entire deal, set up the, not only the travels and, and the, uh, the lodging and all the arrangements, but all the program and so on like that, and had about five adults, parents, go with us. And all I heard all week was, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're doing this. I, I could never do this. And, you know, these were people 20, 25, 30 years older than me saying this to me. Are you hearing me? Teenager. Some of, and and I'm not saying everybody's got to be a Bible teacher. That was just how God had done some gifts with me. But God's given you gifts. God's given you talent and ability. And this isn't something that you begin to figure out when you're 20-something. This is something you get in touch with right now as a teenager. And I I know some of you are already involved. You're on our serving teams and rotations and And some of it challenges you. Some of it doesn't challenge you too much. You may need to look for some challenge. Do the hard thing. Do the hard thing at school. Be distinctly different for Jesus. Not weird, not whacked out, not obnoxious. Distinct. And show some of us parent types what that looks like. Because we don't often get it. Amen? So, doing life's journey, we're, we're going to need to get a word. We've got to have God speak into our lives and show us the way and show us what He wants. We've got to be willing to do the hard things. And we've got to get to where we can recognize what are those false messages and those false messengers that are out there. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They look like they're solid believer, Christian-type people, given wise counsel, but they are not. And you will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, the things that come out of their life. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Figs from thorn bushes? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But let me just say, friends, there's a lot of, and here's where we're back to what we were saying a moment ago, there's a lot of message out there that is just subtly different from the truth. Looks like truth, sounds like truth, kind of smells like truth, but it is not truth. And it's packaged with a messenger or some kind of delivery system that looks like the real deal, looks, can look cool, can look awesome. But it is deceptive and it is misleading. And you must grow in your communication with God that you can discern and tell the difference of these things. So let me just give you a few examples. For example, the, uh, the matter of prosperity. Now, this is one of the most prevalent messages that come through the television and the radio and, and, the, and the Internet from what look to be Christian ministries, Christian messengers, and they want to tell you that if you're really following God and you're following God correctly, then he's going to bless you so that it looks like prosperity. Now, can God prosper you? Absolutely. See, it's very subtle in how this is different from what is true. God can prosper you. God can bless you. God can bring money and, and, and a car, a house. He can, he can supply all kinds of things for you. Now, is that a carte blanche promise that that will always be the case for every one of his children? No. There is not a promise that you follow him and you'll never have a problem. That is a lie. That is a deception. There are faithful, godly people all over this planet and all throughout history that have had horrible, horrendous things go on in their lives, and they were faithful Christians. They did not have prosperity. And this is an especially American, subtle um, variance on what, you know, has some truth to it. And I'm not going to get into personalities. If you want to talk about some of those things, we can later. But another thing that I'll talk about is universalism. Now, this is an idea that some segments in what they call themselves Christian uh, contend that, you know what? God is so gracious. God is so good. God is so loving that everything is just going to work out in the end. He's, He's not going to send anybody to hell. It's going to work out for everybody just to be able to know heaven someday. Friends, it does not happen that way. You go, how do you know? 
Because it's in the book. How do you know the book is reliable? You've got to do your homework and figure that out. But there are sheep and there are goats. There are those that are in, there are those that are out. And it's a work of God, and it is not something to wink at and, you know, kind of cross your fingers and hope it's all going to be okay someday. You've got to get in on the truth to that. A third thing that I'll refer to is, uh, I'll just call it syncretism. And that is where people take Christian doctrine, Christian teachings, and they just kind of mix it with everything else. And so, in one sentence, they're absolutely talking biblical Christianity. In the next sentence, they're talking Hinduism. They're talking Buddhism. They're talking Islam. Just like it's all the same thing. And I've had these conversations in this room. Where in one second, we're just talking about how God's with us in the hard times. And and in the next second, you know, the person's talking about, yeah, that karma stuff. It's just amazing how that works out. I'm like, what? Listen, karma is based upon an Eastern thought of reincarnation where what you did in a former life is uh, still playing out in a present life. And what you work out about that will have something to do with the future. Man, that is not biblical stuff. Forget that karma stuff. I could give you another 20 examples, but it's syncretism where you begin to take a little bit of that, a little bit of this, you know, a little individual spirituality. And you mix in a little Bible jargon in there and it all sounds like it's Christian stuff. It is not. We could talk about pantheism. Did you enjoy Avatar? It was the number one way to portray pantheism that I've seen in a long time. Where God's just kind of in everything. And God's in the earth. And God's in the animals. And they all have to live in harmony with one another. And if we don't do this correctly, then we harm God and so on like that. Now, does God have messages about environment and uh, ecological concerns? Absolutely. We have stewardship about these things. These things are important. But those things are not all divine. We don't worship rocks and rivers and streams and animals and things like that. He's not in everything like that. We could go on. Let me wrap up. Huh. Get worked up over that stuff. What are you going to do about what we've been talking about? I know I've been saying this for a few weeks now. I guess I'm going to keep saying it as long as God keeps prompting me about it. Somebody in the room today, friend, needs to repent. Somebody in the room today continues to do life your way as it best seems to you. You listen to your voice or some other voices, and you haven't acquiesced to the voice of God. And say, okay, you know what? I'm going to turn my back on. I'm going to do it God's way. That is the voice that I'm going to look for, listen for, that I'm going to heed. I'm going to be a person of the book. I'm going to follow the teaching of the Scriptures. I'm going to listen to what God tries to communicate to my heart through godly biblical teachers, etc. I'm going to stake my eternity on Jesus. Friend, if that's where you are, then I plead with you to say yes to an invitation of Jesus today. Say, I will follow Jesus with all my heart. And you can't do that secretly. But I'm not going to tell anybody. 
It just doesn't work that way. It is a public kind of relationship that lives, is lived out in public kinds of ways. And then secondly, I'll say, would you then commit today? You know, I have to have daily directives from God. Now, I don't mean you get up in the morning and you go, okay, now, God, you want me to go to work today or not? That's almost always a yes, in case you have to ask. Because he's given you the job, he's given you the opportunity to make a living, he's given you an opportunity to be salt and light in that workplace, etc. So that's almost always a yes. If you feel like you need to ask, go ahead, but you know. I'm talking about other things. Will you do hard things? And allow God to develop a strength in you from doing the hard things. What are those hard things for you right now? You can't just leave it out there. Okay, I'll do the hard No, what are they? Identify it. Have it in your mind. That, oh, okay, that's, that's what he's talking about. Will you reject false messengers? False messages. You know, but this one kind of sounds right. Okay, well then go figure that out. Just quit being on a default that doesn't closely examine things to see them for what they are. Do some homework. Do some research. Do some thinking. Do some praying. Say, okay, now God, show me. Is what the guy up front on Sunday talking about right? Or is there like more breadth to all that? I mean, that narrow gate thing. Is that really, you know, is it really narrow? What's narrow mean? Oh, it means narrow. Okay. See what I'm saying? You're not on some kind of default mode. Let me pray for you. So, Father, this journey is so important. You know the importance of it. You made it that important. And some of us are just kind of drifting. We're not on course. There's not purposefulness. It's kind of whacked out and crazy and we've got a bunch of wild stuff going on around us. It's a whirlwind. And I pray, Lord, that today is a day of some breakthrough. I pray. That we could hear your call and your directives today. That you give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So will you say some kind of yes to God? You know the drill. That connection card is a worship tool. On the back side, you can put something there like, I made this commitment to God today. And we'll pray for you about that. Or if you want us to follow up, we'll follow up with you about something like that. It's also when we worship with our tithes and our offerings, our ushers will come. Lord, we uh, give these things to you with a whole heart in Jesus' name. Amen.